So last week I read verse 1 of chapter 4, walk worthy of the calling. And, and there's one thing, if nothing else out of that, that you should get, that God continually calls wherever you're walking. So he doesn't just call you once and say, okay, you're all good, go off and do your thing. He just continually calls to woos, whatever the language you want to use, if it's the the hounds of heaven chasing after you, he's still calling. He's calling after you. And as you walk with him, he continues to call you into a deeper relationship. That's what it means to walk worthy of the calling. That being said, I want to jump into this and read that again and then the text beyond it. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called just want you to take a big breath right there. You have been called. You are being called. He is calling. Take a deep breath and go. Just let that sit with you for a second. Always, therefore, be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Make allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and in all and through all. And I'm going to pause there for a second. I was planning on reading the next seven verses too, but I realized that just as we do this, it starts talking about who people are, that there's apostles and prophets and all that. But before we get to what you're going to be doing in Christ, he has a way to do it. And I'm just going to stop. I realize that it's before we get to what you're going to be doing, let's talk about why and how. Or in other words, actually, how and then why you do it. Okay, so the first one is how. How is really important. Okay, God is not, this is my exemplary, how many of you had a list from your parents one day and had like seven or eight things to do and they just said, so go get that done and we'll check in with you later in life, right? Or or during the day or tomorrow or next week. You got this seven things you got to get done this week. Go to it. That is not the way God interacts with you. Now, many of you might think that God interacts with you that way, where it's a to-do list and, well, now I've called you and you're all prepped, so go scoot along, fly, be free. That is not God's way. God's way, and we'll talk about this as the service goes, but really is this. We have some things I would really like to get done with you Will you join me along the way? And so that to-do list is really his to-do list, and you get to see the list, and you get to interact with the list and all that, but he's with you all the way. Now, that being said, some of you have done that and know that he's with you all the way, but you feel abandoned every so often or alone. I want to make sure you know this. I'm going to say this right off so that you'll, you'll, this is like the little uh, disclaimer on the side of the hammer. Feeling alone is not the same as being alone. Feeling abandoned is not the same as being abandoned. 
That's a thought, isn't it? That just because we think we've been abandoned by God doesn't mean that. You know, the holy, there's a lot in the Hebrew scriptures uh, in the Old Testament about feeling abandoned. You can read the Psalms. The, the people that wrote the Psalms felt abandoned often, didn't they? But you know what they knew? They knew something that we don't get. They knew this, that you don't sing songs to a God that's abandoned you. Because the God who abandoned you isn't there to listen. They knew God was there. They knew that the tradition in their story, in the way they heard that, was that God was with them even when it doesn't feel like it. And so they sang songs that have recognized, help, I feel abandoned now. Help me not feel abandoned. Okay, so that being said, here we go. This is the work, the work of our Lord, but how we do it is a really big deal. So let me read verse two, and let me see if this starts sounding like other pieces in the scriptures to you. I hope it does. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit Binding yourselves together with peace. If I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times, right? When God starts saying things over and over again, it starts to be important. He doesn't repeat himself on the things that are unimportant. So I want you to listen to this for a second. This is another piece of scripture. This is Galatians 5, verse 22 and beyond. But what happens when we live God's way? He brings gifts into our lives much the way the fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart. And a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments. We not not needing to force our way into life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely, legalism is is helpless in bringing this about. It only gets in the way. Among those who belong to Christ, everything is connected with getting our own... Among those who... Everything connected... I I added a word there, and it's, it's going, wait, that says it backwards. Everything connected with getting your own way and mindlessly responding to everyone else calls ne- is a necessity to be killed off for good, crucified in Christ. So the goodness, this humility, this humbleness, this gentleness, this self-control, peace, patience, kindness, the fruits of the Spirit, does that sound familiar with our, our Ephesians text? Be humble, gentle peacemaking is there another text that another one that comes to mind you know this guy there's a spot where jesus said something like this matthew 5 blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of god blessed to those are those who mourn for they shall be comforted blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be filled Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. 
God keeps talking about this, how we do it. Not why we do it at the moment, but this is how. The process is important. I know many of you have had jobs, right? You've had bosses, and they sent you on a task, and they said, I need a brochure. That's what they used to say to me when I was doing graphic design. I need a brochure, and I need it to reach this group of people. And so there was a, this is what I need, but this is how I need it to work. How many of you have had jobs? What have you done in your living that, that's something? I know teachers, because there's a whole, if I just sit here, there's a bunch of teachers here in this corner. <laughs> teachers are told to go teach the kids, but they're not just told to teach kids. They're told to teach them in certain ways. Yeah? If, and it, if I said this to a teacher, if you guys, uh, if you just start barking at the kids and they get scared of you and then they don't learn, you get in trouble, don't you? Yeah. They, they go. How many of you have, have jobs where your boss has told you to go do something and he told you how he wanted it done? Everybody in the room? Okay. Do you know why he told you how or she told you how they wanted it done? Because how mattered. This is what God's doing in our text today from Ephesians. He's telling you how he wants the things he's going to do with you done. He wants them humble. He wants us humble. Not just because that's a good idea. I have this in my, in my other Bible here. Did you notice I've got Bibles on all my electronic devices? This is the way it goes. Actually, my fourth Bible in my nook isn't functioning right, and so I had to find this in another spot. So this is Jesus' example of how to do the work. I want you to understand that I'm not just throwing scripture at you for this re- for, because I had a shorter sermon and I needed to read more text. I'm throwing scripture at you so that you will see the weight of the text in a certain direction. That it will literally be the string that weaves its way through the text of the New Testament. So here it is, Philippians 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Do you have any of those things? Have you experienced encouragement, comfort, and participation with the Spirit? Okay, I see some nodding. That's good. Complete my joy by being from the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and one mind. That's almost an echo of our text today. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. Look each, look each of you. Got my tongue fixed and now my mouth's not working. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who... Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself, there's our word again, by being, becoming obedient to the point of death, even that of a cross. This is the how we're to do, be doing this business of Christianity. How can you be humble, meek? Can you seek peace? Can you become a peacemaker? 
in your life. This is an interesting thing for me because I don't think I ever was before I became a Christian. Matter of fact, I know I wasn't. It was actually really fun to just cause turmoil everywhere I went. (laughs) And I know this and I remember it acutely because I was an adult doing it. You know, I wasn't just a five-year-old doing this. I was an adult. If you want more of the story, you can talk to talk about Karen, talk to Karen about what I was like before I came to Christ because she knew me. She's the witnesser that brought me to Christ. It can happen. It was very simple, by the way, when she did that. So it's no, it's nothing that you can just sort of do. It's sort of this organic process that I got to know who Christ was through her and it changed. But this humility, this humbleness, this meekness, this love for each other, this bearing with each other, all these things, they get down to one thing. There are really two types of people in the world. This is not like the computer suggestion where there's only two types of people who use computers. You know, the, the, there, are the type, there are those that will lose things and those that have lost things and those that will. That's the computers, right? The problem is, is just having lost things doesn't mean you won't lose stuff again. But this is it. There's two types of people in the world. There are wolves and sheep. That's what the Bible knows of as people, really. Wolves and sheep. Now, you've heard of wolves in sheep's clothing. Let me reword that for you so you understand what a wolf in sheep's clothing really is. A wolf in sheep's clothing is a wolf dressed up in a sheep's carcass. Somebody had to die for that. Wolves kill, steal, and destroy. That's, but sheep don't do that. You never, ever see a sheep in wolf's carcasses because the sheep didn't kill the wolf. How we do this business of Christ, this business of God growing in us is a really big deal because we've all been around a wolf in sheep's clothing. We've all been coerced to do things by people around us. But God doesn't coerce. He offers you salvation. Actually, the... I love the imagery if you read John three sixteen through 21, and don't just stop at the famous verse, but you keep reading the other ones that fall in behind. It literally shows a picture of God saying, don't shut the door to hell on me with you on the other side. Don't do that. That's, that's literally the feeling of this is that People say, why does God keep people out of heaven? That's not the way it is. People close the door on hell with them inside and say, I don't want no more of that Jesus stuff. I don't want forgiveness. I don't want it. But he doesn't coerce them. Now, I brought up the hounds of heaven, right? The, the, that sometimes it feels like God is just really on you, that there's, there's this big two-by-four of love that he's going to hit you upside the head with. Now, it might feel like that. But just as being abandoned and feeling abandoned is not the same thing, so is this hound of heaven chasing after me is not coercion. It's the Holy Spirit and your conscious working conscience working together. So you're involved in that. You're not alone. God's not alone. Over there you're going, go get him. Go get her. <laughs> Run them down until their tennis shoes fall off. 
that's not the way of it is God. It's always this, this wooing, this calling, this, I love you. Can you, can you accept the gift? Now that you've accepted the gift, can you come in closer so we can get to know you better? Can we, Lord, move in us? And so here it is. We've got this thing. We've got a call. You've been called. Do you know what the call is? It's a call to be a sheep, to be a lamb. That's your call, to be humble and meek and to seek peace and to care and to be loving and all that. That's the call in Christ. By the way, verse 1 in Ephesians 4, walk worthy of the calling for you have been called. You are called to be a sheep. Now we are called to walk in unity. You know what that is? That's to wear sheep's clothing. Not to wear wolf's clothing, not to coerce people, not to force people, not to make them feel horrible, not to judge them, all that. That's not what sheep do. They kind of wander around, right? They're pushed into the, sh- they're pushed into the field and they wander around and eat and when something chases them, they run. They don't stand up to whatever's chasing them. That's what wolves do. Called to walk in unity. Let me go over this verse on unity again, just so you'll know what it means to be unified. Get my wrong Bible up here. How many of you remember remember this sign from a from Pastor Schroeder? Do you, how many of you remember Pastor Schroeder? About twelve, eight of you, ten of you. Okay, so this is the sign. This is in the office, by the way. We have a secretary who saves things, and so I get to use it. Here, we may agree or disagree, but always in the spirit of love. That's what unity means. Do you know what it means to disagree with somebody and still care for them? I know it's hard. It's hard to disagree and not win the argument. It's hard to disagree and not say, you know what? Maybe the winning of this argument isn't such a big deal that we should go to the mattresses for it, if I use a Godfather quote. Gotta go to the mattresses, full-scale war, just to win an argument. This is what it is. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in everything, love. Do you know what it means to have essentials in faith and non-essentials in faith? There are items in our belief systems that are not necessary for your salvation. Did you know that? The type of clothing you wear to church is non-essential data for salvation. Did I say that clear? Is that clear? I'm, I'm getting sort of some perplexed looks. Let me take these off. Maybe I'll see this better. (laughs) These are reading glasses, by the way. If you're past Brody here, you're a little blurry. Brody's sitting right here five rows back. That's Brody. So if you're farther back than that and you raise your hand, I see motion because I'm wearing reading glasses. (laughs) But this is the deal. There's a church, and I said this in the first service, I got a gasp. So I want you to be ready for this. Did you know there's a church in the Tri-City that still has a ruler in the door jam? Do you know what the rulers and door jams are for? To make sure the skirts are the right length. 
<laughs> there's a church, there's a denomination that has a church in the Tri-Cities, right? That's a, we're talking about the 21st century. They have a yardstick with a line on it in the doorway so that when women walk through and their skirts are not the right length, they can know whether or not they're in trouble. Do you know how non-essential that theology is? <laughs> Do you remember on my first Sunday here, I showed you a video. It had this quote about what the dress code at church was. Do you remember what the quote was? Clothes. <laughs> Wear some. <laughs> yes. How should I dress? Yes, you should dress. We like clothes. that They help us out in all sorts of ways. Non-essential theology. Now, that's, a, that's an extreme case. But I want to n- let you know that there's some less extreme cases. Did you know, if I were to say this, do you know what a premillennial tribulation person is? Do you know that language? That's a whole string of $5 words all in a row. Right? Have you ever read the Left Behind books? All that, they're premillennial tribulation. That means that before the trials that come on earth, before the big war, God's going to snatch his people out. Do you know what a post-millennial is? That means after the big war and the tribulation, God brings his people out. Really smart people have been arguing for about 190 years over that theology because that's when, it was, that's when it was, somebody came up with it. It was 190 years ago. It's not old theology from the Bible. But let me say it this way. They've been arguing over it, and then there's a position that says, well, there is no millennial battle, and there's no rapture. So really smart people arguing over it. But let's say for a second that you're a post-millennialist. After the tribulation, God's going to take his people out. You believe this, and you're stalwart in that belief. But God is a premillennialist. When are you going? When he says. <laughs> so if you're a premillennialist and he's a postmillennialist, when are you going? So what part of you being having a really firm belief of, of the of when you're going to heaven and when the rapture's what part of that is essential theology? Because you're going when God's going. If you're submitted to him, that's essential theology. Submission. To, that you are called to be a sheep, that you're called to be in submission to God. You're called to wear the clothes of the sheep, to walk in humility and humbleness and to seek peace and to love and bear with each other and care and to do the work of a sheep. That's the third call. Now, these are each and every single one of us have this call. If you know Jesus, you're called. To be a sheep, to wear the clothes of the sheep, and to do the work of the sheep. What's the work of the sheep? To confess that you're not God, but you met him. And that he has this character. Do you know what his character is? Here it is. This is essential theology. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. By the way, who's the body? Who gives us a new spirit? Who gave us a new hope? Does he have a name? 
Yeah. Well, Christ is a title. What's the Sunday school answer of a name? Jesus. Yeah. Christ is a title. Do you know that's not his last name? That's a position. <laughs> that's a position that he's, he's choosing as the Christ. For there is one Lord and one faith and one baptism. Who does that? Who produces, um, who produces in us the ability to call God Lord? Jesus is Lord. Nobody says this except by the prompting of the Holy Spirit. There is one Lord and one faith. Who, who's, who's the source of our faith in us and, and keeping it up? The Spirit and one baptism. Who marks us out in baptism as God's? The Holy Spirit. So this is Jesus, for there is one body and one spirit, just as you've been called to this glorious hope. This is the Holy Spirit. For there is one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. And, and next, for God. For God and Father of all, who is over all and in all and through all. That is pretty strong Trinitarian language, if you, if you understand. I'm not, I'm not really driving that home hard enough. I, I could preach over and over. I just love the way the Bible just tells you what's essential. Did you know you have a hope? You are called to do the work of a sheep and to say, I have a hope. Are you the source of the hope? No. Did you get the hope? Yeah. Did you create the hope? Did you design the hope? Is it better than you could have designed and better than you could have hoped for? Yeah. Were you given a chance to have faith and to love and had a new spirit put in you? Was your heart changed? Did you design those things? So what's the work of the sheep? I got a new heart. God gave me a new spirit. You know what? There's hope that lies within me. Why do I have the hope? Because God, the author and perfecter of all this, gave it to me, and he says it's mine. That's the work of a sheep. Did you know that? So that's... So we go back to this. What are you not called to do as a sheep? To wear the carcass of a wolf. You're not called to look like a wolf. Matter of fact, that's completely foreign to the text, just as as a deep, single believer is foreign to this text. Now, you can be an individual Christian without a body of Christ, but what you have struggles with is getting deep. I know lots of people that say, I don't need a church. no. Well, you do if the goal is to get to know what God's like. Well, I can worship him out in the outdoors. Yeah, you can do it inside too. You can do it with these people. You can, matter of fact, you need them. This is the workshop of the body of Christ. We are called to be sheep. You have been called. How many of you know you've been called? Cool. If you don't know that, and you didn't raise your hand, and maybe you raised your hand because you didn't want to be the only one not raising your hand, whatever. <laughs> I want you to know that, that if, if you think you might have been called, but you're not sure, is there somebody you trust, somebody you find trustworthy who knows this Jesus? Talk to them. Ask them about what it means to be called to have that change in your life. And if you've been called, maybe it's a good time to talk to somebody and find out what it was like for them and then to share your stories. That's the one piece that we have that we know well. That you know 
what God's done for you. By the way, you are called to be a sheep, to be a sheep, to wear sheep's clothing, and to do the work of a sheep. You're called to be in Christ. You are called to be the way Christ was. And, is, and he's forming that in you. He's making it possible. It's not a hard task. It doesn't have a checklist that you're sent away like your parents used to do and my parents used to do. Go do these eight things and I'll check on you later. He's doing it with you. And you're called to do the work and that is to acknowledge that Christ is Lord, that you have one Father, one God, one Lord who is over all and in all, and you have one faith and one baptism, and it just flows out of you, and, but you didn't create it. So don't pretend like you did. Just be the sheep. You're not the shepherd. Neither am I, by the way. Now, some of you might think of me as an under-shepherd or something like that. I think of me as, as just another sheep that God gave a task to, and my task is in him, and because it's in him, it's just as important as the task given to you. It just happens to be in front of you. By the way, some of you are deeply thankful you don't have my task. I know that because public speaking, most people would rather die than have pub, do public speaking. Yeah, I don't get that. But that's kind of why I'm called to be up here. Because I wouldn't rather die than public speak. But I've got this Lord, and if he be lifted up, then he will draw all to himself. And this is the good news. But before we get going, we've got to get this foundation right. Who we are, why we do what we do, and how we do it, is far more important than the, than the actual work. Because if we do the work wrong, we're going to mess it up. If you build a house without the foundation, what happens to the sheetrock? It just cracks, and it doesn't matter how many, many times you fix it. It's, the wall's going to keep sliding into the ground. It's going to keep breaking. I could, ask, I could ask my builder. I didn't ask him for permission, so I'm going to do it now. Can I talk to you now? Mr. Barton, what's a house like without a foundation? <laughs> There's a lot of them in this county, <laughs> and they all need work. They get crooked really fast. We have a cabin. We have a cabin in the North Cascades that you can walk up and kick the foundation. It's a, uh, it's a log, <laughs> and it's been there a long time. Don't kick it hard though, because it gets smaller. If you come up and kick it, little pieces break off because it was a homesteader cabin. No, we need this foundation. And the foundation for God's work is that he calls you, that he gives you a methodology, and the methodology is covered in humility and love and peacemaking. And it's such a big deal, he covers it almost everywhere throughout his text. He says it over and over hoping we'll catch it, that we could live the lives of sheep, his sheep, the people of his pasture, who will image and live and represent him wherever they go. Will you uh, join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, today as we come to you,
help us catch, help us catch on to what you're doing. If there's anything in us that leads us the other way, purge that from us. Help us be sheep in sheep's clothing, eating in the pasture we're put. In your precious name, amen.